have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We'll be in Matthew chapter 13 today, as this summer we will be studying different parables of Jesus. Parables are stories that Jesus told to shape our minds. And he often would illustrate spiritual truths with uh, earthly stories. And in this story today, we look at the parable of the sower. A sower is a farmer who's throwing out seed. Is a sower, that kind of a sower, not with a sowing machine. Um, and as we've talked about already, in this parable, Jesus answers the question, how can I flourish in life? How can my life be fruitful? How can my life count for something? How can I thrive in life? How can I live a life full of meaning, a life full of impact, a life of significance? And Jesus answers that question today uh, like this. He says, by being one who hears and understands the word. That's Jesus' answer. By being one who hears and understands the word. So if you would give your attention now to the reading of God's word in Matthew chapter 13, I'll begin in verse 3. Hear now God's word. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky soil, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then Jesus just stopped. That's all he said to the crowds. And his disciples came to him in verse 10, the next verse, and said, Hey, why aren't you speaking to the parables and these stories instead of just directly telling us what you want us to know? Because we don't understand what you're talking about with this seed falling on different kinds of soil. And if you were with us two weeks ago, if not, you can go back and listen to our podcast, Redeemer Shoals. Uh, is the key word there, Redeemer Shoals, wherever you get your podcast. You can hear that sermon on why Jesus spoke in parables. And we saw from verses 34 and 35 that it was to fulfill prophecy. We saw from the first few verses of this chapter and from chapter 12 that he did it to avoid opposition to opponents. It sounded like he was just telling quaint stories to entertain the people. But the third reason we learned that he taught in parables it was to reveal our hearts that Jesus was not having this direct teaching, that you, he was giving these parables that we have to think about. And so we can move on and not think much about it, or we can linger with Jesus and think about what he is saying and ask him to teach us. And the disciples do just that. And so in verse 18, Jesus explains this parable. Right? It's great. The first parable we'll do, Jesus tells us what it means. So we learn how to interpret these parables from Jesus. So Jesus picks up in verse 18, and Jesus says to the disciples, Hear then the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes in and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. <coughs> As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another sixty and another thirty. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to flourish in life. We want to thrive. We want to live lives that matter, that are significant, to make an impact, to make a difference in the world around us. As we come before you now and sit before your word and think about what you have taught, I pray that you would show us how to do that, that you would indeed, as you say, give us ears to hear, that you would make us people who hear and understand your word that we might flourish. And I pray that you'd be willing to do all this for us during this time, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. Lord, it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Jesus tells us here how we can flourish in life, how we can be fruitful, how we can thrive. And he also tells us what keeps us from thriving, what keeps us from flourishing in life. And of course, the answer he gives it is the one who hears and understands the word of God, the word of the kingdom, he says in particular, that will thrive, that will be fruitful, and that will produce good things that will endure. And then Jesus points out some reasons, some things that keep us from hearing and understanding the word. And therefore things that keep us from flourishing in life. And there are three kinds of hearts that he seems to describe as he talks about this. And the first one, what Jesus says keeps us from hearing and understanding the word and therefore keeps us from flourishing and being fruitful in our lives is having a hard heart. Having a hard heart. Look at verse 19. We're told there that Jesus comes preaching the word of the kingdom. That's important. We'll talk about that more in a second. That when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and they do not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown. This is what was sown along the path. You see, there weren't sidewalks at this time, and people had to get from point A to point B, and sometimes they would walk across the field. And as people walked along one path, that area of dirt got packed down, and it was harder than the rest of the ground that hadn't been walked on and packed down. And so the seed lands on this pathway where people have walked and it doesn't penetrate the soil because the soil is hard and it's packed down at that point and so it just lands on the surface and it stays on the surface and then birds come and eat the seed of course the seed is the word of god going forth the word of the kingdom going out 
And we don't understand if we have a hard heart. We're not open to other ideas. The word doesn't penetrate our hearts. Specifically, Jesus said, those with a hard heart hear the word of the kingdom, but do not understand it. We have a lot of misunderstandings about the kingdom. We can't cover all those things. Let's just think about a couple. Some of us misunderstand the kingdom because we're too busy building our own kingdom with our own objectives and our own goals. And we get Jesus' kingdom mixed up with our kingdom. And we begin to think, well, if Jesus can come and help me build my kingdom and accomplish the goals that I have and accomplish the purposes that I have for my life, achieve my objectives, if Jesus can help with that, then we want Jesus to come help. And so we come here to church and we're looking for something that will aid us in building our own kingdom. And that's a misunderstanding of the word. We prayed this morning in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus does not help us build our kingdom, when he doesn't do our will on earth, then we find it easy to ignore Jesus, for his word did not penetrate our heart. Isn't that why some of us ignore Jesus? We have our own ideas about how life should go. We want to go our own way. But Jesus comes here preaching the word of the kingdom. He comes here with the word of another kingdom besides our kingdom. And he comes saying that there is a king who made all things. And this king is so central to everything that is. That that king is so important, that he's so vital to everything, that in order to make sense of the world around us, we need the one who created it in order to, we need the one who created it to explain it to us in order for us to understand. <coughs> Jesus says there is a kingdom with one in power that we surrender to. Jesus puts God at the center of life. And that means we're not at the center of life. And it is the word of the kingdom of God that goes forth. Now it is true within this kingdom that we were created by God and we're given a purpose and we're given dignity. But in order to interpret what is even good or what is bad, we have to submit to God. Jesus says, look, it's not all about you. It's about God. You were made by him. You were made for him. He has a plan for your life, and you will flourish when you set aside trying to make your own way in the world and finally listen to the one who knows the way. He who has ears, let him hear. Another misunderstanding of the kingdom that we have. Some folks hear that first understanding of the kingdom and they're like, that's right. If this was a church where people said amen, which you know that's okay to do. But if there was a church where people said they would be like, amen, preach, that's right. You tell them that we're all going to bow the knee to Jesus one day. That a day is coming that, that, that everybody's going to bow the knee. And that's true. A day is coming when that will happen. 
But you misunderstand if you think that all are going to bow the knee to King Jesus in this day. We misunderstand the kingdom if we think the kingdom of God is about wielding great worldly power in this world right now. Well, we want to wield power, don't we? Some of us panic as we enter a post-Christian world where the influence of Christianity has always been in the culture that we grew up in. And as the effects of Christianity are being more and more pushed away, it scares us and we cling to the power that we once had and no longer have. And we're afraid. And it's a misunderstanding of the kingdom of God if that's the kind of power that we think we have to have to live the Christian life. Think about it. These people that he's talking to are oppressed people. Oppressed by the Roman Empire. And think about the metaphor that he uses for the word of the kingdom. Of all the metaphors Jesus could have used... He described the word of the kingdom as a seed. Just lying there on the ground. Vulnerable. What will become of it? Jesus says a little bird can take it and eat it. That's how vulnerable it is. You know, for many of us, we want Jesus to say that the Word of the kingdom is like a mighty army storming a village, and it's going to rule in power. For some of us, we want Jesus to say the word of the kingdom is like a rushing river that just carries away all of its path with its strength. Sometimes we want the, the word of the kingdom, we let Jesus use the metaphor of a rock rolling down a hill, smashing everything in its path. And Jesus uses the metaphor of seed. Jesus says, I just come like a farmer, going out seed. No army, no rushing river, no shield, just a farmer throwing out seed. You know, that's not what these folks following him wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that the Messiah had come to overthrow the Roman government. And to make Jewish people and Jewishness and the Jewish God head over all things again. That's what they wanted to hear. We often want a kingdom like that as well. Don't we? A kingdom to overthrow my political opponents. That's what's really wrong with this world. To even overthrow my church opponents, those who are preaching different things, who believe and practice different things than we believe. But listen. Jesus just does not work like that. Jesus calls us to love God, to love our neighbor, and then even to love our enemies. Jesus' use of power in his kingdom is just different than the way we think about power. I recently read a great book I highly recommend. It. It's called Redeeming Power. Understanding Authority and Abuse of the Church by Diane Langberg, who is an excellent psychologist and experienced counselor. She writes this about Jesus' use of power. She writes, Jesus used power not to rule, but to influence, to invite, to welcome, and 
to transform. Then she asked this question, will we use our God-given power of choice to seek certain outcomes or to live under the governance of God and rely on Him to accomplish His purpose? When we are in Christ, no nationality, no government, no race, no gender, no status, and no prejudice rules our choices and actions. To be in His image in this world is to live and to look like the one we call Lord. Wouldn't that be good? And convicting for our hearts and for our lives. For many of us, we say, yes, but we have to stand for biblical truth. We have to stand for what is right. And I understand that we do need to take those stands. But listen to what she says about that. Even in the face of an inevitable disagreement regarding scriptural issues, right? She's saying, look, even when people are going in a different direction with what the scripture says, how do we handle that? She says, the call of that same scripture as to how we are to treat one another is never tossed aside. The trashing, demeaning, humiliating, and labeling of one another is horrifying and grieves God. A call to truth, which we must issue. Notice, she's not backing down from speaking the truth. A call to truth, which we must issue, is always to be done with gentleness, humility, and dignity, for we are calling one made in God's image. Excellent book, really helping to think about the nature of power and authority in the kingdom of God. Listen. We have lots of misunderstandings about the kingdom of God. Those are just a few. But it's important that we not misunderstand the kingdom of God. Because Jesus says to us here that some of us are not flourishing in our life, that we're not thriving, that we're not all that God created us to be because we do not understand the word of the kingdom. Because we have a hard heart. We want to build our kingdom. We have our idea of the kingdom, and we don't want to be told differently. And that hard heart keeps us from understanding the word of the kingdom. There's a second thing Jesus talks about here, a hard heart, yes. But he also talks about a shallow heart. A shallow heart. Look at it there in verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And as I meditated on this more and more this week, I just thought, oh man, Jesus is so relevant and timely yet again in what he says. This shallow heart that we have, Jesus says, is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but has no root. The roots don't go deep because there's a, a rock there that keeps the root from going down. And so when hard times come, this one falls away. Now, I want to be clear to a very stoic, reserved group of people that are not very expressive in our worship. I want to be clear that you understand that Jesus is not saying that emotional responses to the word are always shallow discipleship. That is not what he's saying here. We should have an emotional response 
to the Word of God, to the Kingdom of God. It should affect all that we have and all that we are, including our emotions. But what Jesus is saying here is that merely an emotional response is not enough. That we should be affected emotionally, but we should have more than just a feeling. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Paul von Herman did a great job of leading us. We're here in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings at 9. Great study about how we grow in the faith. We talked about this concept this morning. That emotional responses are not enough. That just having a feeling is not enough to sustain us in the Christian life. Because someday, let's be honest, some days we're just not feeling it. And if our faith is based on an emotional response, then when those difficulties come, then we have no faith if it's all based on these emotional things. Jesus is saying that in addition to an emotional experience, which we should have with God, that we must also be rooted in the truth with roots running deep to make us strong so that we can persevere. I said Jesus was so relevant. Think about this. So many of us in the Christian world who profess to be Christians, people who are exuberant Christians, once were on fire for God, were joyful, gave testimony. They begin to encounter difficult things in the world. Maybe they're sinned against in some way. Maybe they just see evil in the church or in the world that they don't perceive God doing anything about that evil. And what happens? As they say online, they begin to deconstruct their faith. Now, not all deconstruction means that we no longer believe. There are some things that we need to deconstruct and build back if we have misunderstandings. But what Jesus describes here is people who were once enthusiastic and believed, but then when difficulties come, people fall away because they don't have their roots down deep. And they were just dependent on an emotional experience. We become like Job's wife. You remember Job's wife? When they experience difficult things, she says to Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Why did she say that? Because all of her kids had been killed. Because everything that she had ever known and loved had been taken away from her. Because she was watching her husband suffer, yet continue to trust in God. And so she said, just curse God and die, would you? It's understandable why people would respond that way. And why people would deconstruct their faith. And I want to be very clear. We've already been singing about this, about how God uses difficult things in our lives. We'll sing about it more as we, as we sing about God being sovereign over us. But I want to be very clear about the truth that we have to get our roots down deep into in order to be sustained in the Christian life. And so if you see evil in the world and it makes you doubt, I want you to hear the story of what is true that you can sink your roots into. And if you're not struggling with evil in the world, I promise you, you know somebody who is. 
And so I want you to hear the story again so that you can tell the story. And when I say the story, I don't mean that it's not true. I mean it's the overarching truth that everything falls within. Let me just be very clear about the truth that we've got to get our roots in. Here it is. God created all things good. This creation was perfect. There was no death. There was no crime. There was no pain. There was no shame. There was no pain. There's no death. There's no cancer. There's no abuse. No oppression. God created all things good. And things in this world are broken and messed up because of our poor choices. Because we have rebelled against God. Because we don't live life the way that he designed it to be lived. So let me be very clear. Do not throw God under the bus because of the brokenness in the world. It is not his fault. It's ours. But that's where we put the blame. God should have done something about this. Listen to me. The good news is God is doing something about this. He has not given up on his creation. He remains committed to making all things right. And he is so committed to it. That God himself put on flesh and entered this world of suffering. You do understand that Christianity is the only religion where our God has scars on his body. Because he was willing to enter into our suffering and to be mistreated and misunderstood for our sake. To take the punishment for our sin to begin the process of making all things right. And a day is coming when he is going to make all things right. When there will be no more death, no more crying, no more shame, no more pain. We have got to sink our roots down deeply into this story. And we've got to be telling this story over and over and over again, reminding ourselves, reminding our family. Listen, what I would say to someone struggling with this is this. I would say the reason you know that the world is broken and messed up. The reason you feel it so acutely is because you were made for the perfection of Eden. I love how sensitive you are to the brokenness in this world, but it's because you're made in the image of God and you're responding to it the right way. I hate the brokenness. But don't fall into the trap of thinking you hate it more than God does. Just more patient He's more gracious. He's more long-suffering. As he works to make all things right and draw people into his kingdom. Listen to me. Only Christianity offers the hope that all things will be made new. Your only alternative to that is just to just be cynical and say, well, I guess that's how life is in this world. With no hope. And just say, let's live life and do the best we can with what we have to work with. God is making all things new. And you have a part in that. So grow your roots down deep in this truth because there are some days that we will need it. One final thought about this. If you were excited about the faith, but then you see difficult things and you have fallen away, does that mean you can never come back? I remind you of the example of the Apostle Peter, probably the most emotional of all the disciples, 
always blurting things out. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, yes, bless you, Simon. And then he says, no, Lord, forbid that you would ever suffer. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter had misunderstandings about the kingdom. When they come to arrest Jesus, he takes a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Jesus says, throw the sword away. Those who live by the sword will die with the sword. That's not what my kingdom's like. Peter's Jesus is arrested. Everything that he had longed for was coming apart. And a little girl recognizes him and says, Hey, you're, you're Galilee, and you're, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And Peter says, No, not me. And he denies it. He's falling away. Difficult thing to make Jesus says, No, 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 you are one of them. I remember, and he curses Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? Peter. He doesn't rip him a new one. He doesn't tell him, after all I've done for you, Jesus forgives Peter. And he restored Peter. And he used him in a mighty way in the kingdom. And the same is true for you. Jesus will forgive. He will restore. He'll use you. Return to him. There's a third kind of heart here that Jesus talks about that keeps us from understanding the kingdom. Ooh, I just, man, a distracted heart. So the scripture calls a divided heart. And our call to worship it says, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Help me be totally focused on you because look what happens when we have a divided heart. Jesus talks about it in verse 22. He says, as one was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. <laughs> I don't even need to talk about this much. You intuitively understand it, right? Some of us are not flourishing in our lives today because the cares of the world are choking out the work of the word in our lives, period. Right? We've said it before. You cannot average three minutes a day in the Word of God and three hours a day on social media and news and sports and think that the Word is going to influence your life more than those other things. Let me make one suggestion. This is something I'm trying to do. Let me suggest it to you. What I've said is I'm just going to... I'm going to read the Word before I look at social media, before I look at the news. I'm not saying to be uninformed. But let's just commit to read the Bible, to let God speak to us in the day before anything else speaks to us. And then I pray, God, all these other things that I look at, help me to see them through the lens of your word. Let's just start with that. So that the word of the kingdom might be the lens that we see things through instead of the kingdom of this world being what we use to view the word of God. That's such a harsh way to say it. I hate preaching that way. That's what Jesus says, that the work of the word is choked out in our lives because of the cares of the world. I like a kinder, gentler approach, right? I like to say it like this. God has given us so many great gifts. There are so many good things that he's made in his good creation. 
And our problem is that those things are so great that sometimes we would just prefer to have those gifts more than we want to give. Isn't that what happens? But realize when we do that, we're cheating ourselves. Obviously, created things must be less than the one who created them. The reason they're so great is because they originated in the mind and the imagination of the creator who's even greater than the gift. And what's more, I must tell you what Jesus says here. Jesus calls it the deceitfulness of riches. Listen to me. These things of the world lie to you. They lie to you. Listen to me. They cannot give you what they promise to give you. We think, oh, if I just have this, if I just have that job that I want, if I just have that money that I want, that certain level of income, if I just can get my kids to this point, if I just have that, then I'll be happy, then my life will flourish. Listen to me, they cannot give you what they promise to give you. As good as God's good gifts are, as good as food is, as good as the wholesome pleasure of sex within the context of marriage between a man and a woman, as good as music that makes us dance, as good as entertainment is that makes us laugh or cry or a good job or good work, of all the things that God gives us, they're all good gifts. But listen, they cannot satisfy your soul. Not at the deepest levels of who you are. So please, do not let go of the giver of gifts in order to pursue the gifts. You won't be happy. They cannot make you fruitful and flourish and thrive. Let's close by looking at this last verse, verse 23. You see what Jesus says there. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another sixty and another thirty. Now, I'm sure it's no shock to you that I am no first century Palestinian farmer, because I'm not. Not a 21st century. But the experts that I read on this say this is probably the only part of the parable that would have been surprising to anybody. Like in that first part, that they're throwing out seed, that it falling on the path, that the birds eating it, that it, they're being the rocky soil, and then everybody would be like, yeah, 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 that's what happens when you throw out seed. But a great return would be sevenfold, maybe in a really good year, maybe tenfold. And Jesus is saying that this word, when it's received by people and understood, that it returns a hundredfold or sixtyfold or thirtyfold. What does Jesus mean? Why, why would he have that shocking part of the parable? Here's why. Because that vulnerable seed, the word of the kingdom, what he's saying is that that vulnerable seed, that it can make you more than you ever dreamed you could be. That the word of the kingdom can do in you everything you long to be and more. So I call you to come to him. He created you. You were made for him. He knows how you can flourish. 
Think about this. This is very important. We're going to say, yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's very important. The soil doesn't rid itself of the rocks, right? The soil doesn't rid itself of the thorns. We're just soil that the seed lands on. The soil cries out to the gardener and says, oh, take away the stones. Take away the thorns. And that's what I call you to do today, to look to him, to come to him, to linger with him, to let him teach you. That you might hear and understand his word and flourish in this world. Let's pray and ask you to do that. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know these things are true. We don't deny them. In our flesh and in our competence, we think that we can fix it and be more disciplined and be more organized and organize our life better. God, help us. Help us just to look to you as the gardener, <laughs> the one who tends the soil, the one who throws out the seed. I just pray that you would take the rocks and the thorns out of our life that need to be removed. We don't even know what those are. I pray that you would show us that you would do that work, and that you would just turn our hearts toward you, that you would open our ears, that we might hear and understand your word, that we might flourish for your glory.